I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I am Alicia Fernandez Miranda. Am I wearing sweatpants while I record this? You will never know. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my dream jobs in 2020 by taking unpaid internships at four of them. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and at a hotel. And then I wrote a book about my experience, which will be out in 2023. I am psyched to share my story with you, but in the meantime, I'm bringing you a few others, real people who work really cool jobs. So before you quit your day job to go be a painter or an actress or a life coach, listen in and see what it's really like behind the scenes. Welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I'm so excited to have today a friend from the trenches, which is what I call the time when my twins were born. (laughs) Sky and I were pregnant together, which is how we originally met. But I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Sky O'Neill. Sky is a London-based photographer, publishing project manager, and indie magazine publisher. She was working for a traditional publisher when she started taking photographs of charming and unusual places around London and posting them on Instagram under the handle George in London. It exploded. She gradually grew her following to over 139,000 people. And now I like to call her an influencer. We'll see how she feels about that term herself. (laughs) And she's transitioned. She's got a broader account at Sky O'Neill. And in 2021, so just last year, her beautiful pandemic project was founding Field Fair, which is a print magazine with fellow Instagrammer Mendy Waits. And it's all about a sense of place. It's completely stunning. And I can't wait to tell you more about it on this episode. And Skye is originally from Australia, hence her accent, and she is a mother to two fantastic daughters. So Skye, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting. It is. It is exciting. I'm loving doing these. (laughs) I like to warm everybody up with a little lightning round. Five simple questions. Tell me the first thing that comes to your head and just to get you kind of in the, in the mood to discuss. So are you, are you ready for your lightning round? I think so. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Question one. Who is your favorite Instagram account to follow? Oh, God. That's really hard. That's dun, like dun, the hardest dun. one. I mean, obviously, my friend Mindy. So, she's my co-founder at Field Fair. So, I think I first started following her account back in about 2014 when I first started or 2015 when I first started posting photos and uh, she posts under the name Angry Baker and she was living in London at the time and I just remember thinking that what distinguished her account from so many of the other London accounts that I was following at the time was that she had this distinctive voice and it wasn't kind of 
bland and, you know, she had a point of view about things and I thought that was really interesting and that was what sort of drew me to her her feed in the first place and actually that's how we became friends uh, in real life. So I would have to say her. So. Very nice. Very nice plug for Mendy. I know. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Number two, what is your mm-hmm. secret London spot? Oh, there are so many. So probably one of my favourite spots is the Inns of Court. And I think it's because they feel like they should be private, like you shouldn't be able to go in there. And I think a lot of people don't realise you can go in there because you have to kind of go down these little alleyways off Fleet Street in order to get to them. And it's all of the kind of old barristers' chambers and the temple church is in there. And there's just some really beautiful buildings and it's really quiet and just quite atmospheric. There's a garden you can sit in at certain times of the year, you know, have your lunch there. And I just really like it. It's really peaceful. It feels a little bit off the beaten track but it's really central and kind of people don't seem to really know about it so I didn't know one, about one that of my favorite places I don't think there I've you go been. I know new yeah it's really I mean it's lovely and I used to go there because I you know I had when I was working in legal publishing we used to have authors who were who were based there so I used to have to go there for work sometimes but it's just actually a lovely spot to walk around Ooh, all right you heard it here first podcast mm. guest add it yep. to your listeners I mean add it to your list of things to do in London all right number three best thing or experience you've ever been gifted Oh, I mean, I've had lots of lovely hotel stays, I guess, through Instagram. So there are a couple of ones that stand out. So one was one that we wrote about actually in Field Fair in the first issue, which was at the Five Farms in Scotland, which was just absolutely is such a unique place to stay and just really welcoming and warm and lovely, but also with the most amazing art on the walls and in beautiful countryside and amazing food. So that was, I went there with my husband, actually. It was, we stayed there for a couple of nights and it was just really lovely. And then there've been, I mean, there've been a couple of really sort of standout hotels like that, I guess, that stick in my mind. I mean, yeah. The other one probably is, there's one in Portugal called Sao Lourenço de Baracal, which very different, but just amazing atmosphere, family run, but just they uh, restored kind of an old kind of farm buildings and have this whole kind of organic vineyard and amazing food again. And again, that the atmosphere was like super peaceful, really lovely, amazing time. So that's yeah, so cool. Those are probably the standouts. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I'm really restricted in what I can do because of having kids and a dog and all the rest of it. So in some ways, you have to be sort of quite choosy about what right. you what you can fit in. So yeah, it's nice when they're amazing experiences like that. (laughs) That sounds awesome. We went to the Fife Arms. That was our very first holiday that we booked when lockdown, first lockdown ended. And we got there and uh, Theo and Lola were like, where, where's the farm? And we were like, what, what are you talking about? And they were like, yeah, the five farms. Aren't we going to the five farms? They thought it was five farms connected <laughs> instead of five arms. It's my American accent. Oh. I suppose that threw them off. And they were like really weirdly disappointed. They were like, well, there's no cows here. I was like, I know, but this place oh. is amazing, guys. They came around at the did end. You, yeah, because did they, because the, there's a kid's playroom there. I remember seeing it on the tour and thinking, oh, my kids would love it here. I mean, it would never have occurred to me really to take them. But having seen the, the setup, it's actually really family friendly. And It was and great for welcoming. a family. A lot of yeah. stuff was still closed because this was like July 2020. So we didn't get to use the kids' room. The spa was still closed. But we did, they have all these great excursions you can do. And so we went fishing, mm. trout fishing with a ghillie. And we actually caught something. And then the restaurant cooked it for us to dinner. And the kids were like obsessed with that whole experience. <laughs> 
For the record, I caught the fish, but gradually the story became, oh, we all caught the fish. Oh, but Theo helped me reel it in. Oh, but Lola did this. So they've taken credit for it, but it's okay. I'll give it to them. Mm-hmm. It was fine, but it was a beautiful place. What an amazing thing to be able to go stay at as a yeah, gift for your Instagram. Okay, question yeah. four. Do you photograph your food before you eat it? If it's for an event that I've been invited specifically to do that, I don't, as a general rule, do it because actually I'm not someone who particularly likes to draw attention to myself in public. So I actually really hate this notion that I might stand on a chair and like photograph my (laughs) food from above. But it's different, I think, if you're in a, if you've been invited specifically maybe to a group lunch for the launch of a new restaurant or whatever, and, and everyone is there for the same reason, then you feel much less self-conscious about doing it. So I have been known to photograph my food, yes, but only for special occasions. Oh, okay. So I won't slip <laughs> you on top on top of a table somewhere. Okay. No. And finally, fifth question, the most important one. Tim Tams or hobnobs? I'm gonna have to say hobnobs. And this is controversial because I, I actually really don't like Tim Tams, despite being Australian and despite them being like the national dish. I I just don't really like them. I've never liked them. I don't really love chocolate biscuits, even though I love chocolate. So I don't ever choose to have Tim Tams, wow. but I will have the occasional nom. I know. That is controversial. It's, it's a good thing this is going to air after you come back from Australia. So nobody there <laughs> listen to you say that. All right. You survived the lightning round. Good job on that. And we're here to just talk about you and your job and how cool many, many pieces of it are. And maybe some of the less cool pieces, if you want to talk about that too. But First of all, can you explain to me what you think it means to be an influencer, which is not the only thing you do, but it is a part of what you do? Yeah. So you mentioned before, like, would I describe myself as that? Probably not. I would probably just say I was a photographer. But yeah. Anyway, so what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, I, know, I mean, I mean, that? look, yes, I'm not a photographer. I'm a pretty terrible mm. photographer, but not what every photographer. An, what, what does an influencer yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, not every photographer mm. gets invited to go stay at the Five Farms mm. for free or has to worry about standing up on a chair to take pictures of their food because somebody has invited them to a restaurant to do that. So, you know, mm. kind of like mm. in your in your head, what does it all mean? Well, I have to say, I didn't start out to become an influencer. So it, my Instagram developed when I first went back to work after having my second child I was just, it was the first time I had free time for like years where I could just walk around in my lunch break. And I started taking photographs then. And I think it was a time when actually it was really more easy to kind of grow on Instagram quite quickly if you were in somewhere like, so London is a very sort of active place for Instagram. You know, there's a lot of people who take photos. It's very photogenic. It was quite, I found it relatively easy to grow my audience. I don't think that's what Instagram is like now, but this was, you know, 2016 or 2015, whatever it was. So that, yeah, so I didn't actually start, it, it started out just as a love of taking photos. And I think that people can kind of sense when there's something genuine behind it whether whether, or where there's some kind of passion for something and people respond to that and they want to be a part of it and they find maybe what you're taking photographs of to be slightly different to what other people are doing or or whatever it is so you know being an influencer I suppose part of it is just having the audience in the first place and being able to kind of understand maybe what kind of things they're looking for maybe something that's a bit off the beaten track or somewhere that they'd never heard of even if they've lived in London for a long time so it's kind of having that local knowledge and being able to kind of convey that to your audience in a way that's you know interesting or beautiful or whatever it is yeah Amazing. in a nutshell yeah 
And you were doing something very different when we first met, not just yep. crying when your child cried, which was <laughs> my my parenting strategy. They're like, sleep when the baby sleeps. Well. And I was like, just cry when the babies cry, which is all the time. But you were in a very different job. And one of the things I love so much about your story is that you really did pursue your passion and it opened up this kind of potentially whole different route in your career that you were able to take. So can you mm. talk us through your mm. journey? A little bit. So, yeah, so I worked in legal publishing for a long time. So I started out working in Australia for a kind of independent nonfiction publisher. And then when I moved to the UK, I worked for a, a large legal publisher. And I had only intended to stay there for kind of six to 12 months just while I kind of found my feet and found a place to live and all the rest of it. But actually, I found that I really enjoyed it. And I ended up staying there for 15 years and becoming an editorial manager and managing a big list of books and a, a team of editors. So it was only in 2019 that I left. And it was, you know, the business was restructuring. We were going through a round of redundancies. And I had been having some coaching with a, a friend of mine who was qualifying as a life coach and it just really clarified things. It was nothing I'd ever considered doing before, you know, having someone kind of help me out with the decision-making process, but it had been at the back of my mind for quite a long time that I'd been doing this for years. You know, it had worked really well when my kids were younger and they had given me, you know, really flexible options and it was a great place to work. I liked my colleagues and all the rest of it, but it was really just kind of maintaining the status quo the whole time. It didn't mm. feel like I was kind of growing very much professionally or kind of, you know, creatively or anything like that. So when the opportunity arose to take voluntary redundancy, I was really in two minds about it because, as I said, I, you know, it was a really safe place and it felt like almost like, you you know, when you're a parent and you have a, a good flexible arrangement, you kind of feel like you need to be grateful for that. And totally. so I kind of, it, it, it took a lot of thinking about to get to the point where I felt that it was okay to actually spend that energy implementing positive change rather than just like treading water the whole time. So, yeah, so I took redundancy and then, of course, the pandemic hit like a few months after that. And at the time I was like, oh, my God, I should never have left my job. <laughs> but <laughs> but actually I managed to get some freelance work and, and it was fine. But, yeah, there was a period where I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? But, yeah, so and then, yeah, the pandemic was a real you know, it, it was really difficult and it was difficult for lots of people and, and in lots of different ways. And homeschooling for us was a real challenge. And being able to work really flexibly around that was a godsend at the time. Yeah. And But it did kind of, I did come out of it thinking, well, now what? Like, what, are we just going to go back to normal? Or, you know, can we actually, you know, start something new or, or, or grow in some way. And I mean, Instagram had been a funny place during the pandemic for me, just because, you know, you're so constrained to your local area at the time. And I had found that it was really difficult to talk about anything on Instagram. Like it, it felt like there was almost too much to say and too little to say at the same time. And I wasn't yeah. doing anything very exciting. I wasn't going, there were no events or anything like that. There was, and I wasn't going into central London. I was staying really close to home. So actually I felt like I had nothing to say and almost too much to say at the same time. Yeah. So I just kind of avoided it for a long time. And and I started chatting to my friend Mendy, who I've known for years, who's now based in New York. And we I th we worked out that we our first messages about starting a print project were in May of 2020, or no, 2021, sorry. 
and we launched the first issue at the end of October. So actually it was a really short gestation period. But I think because we'd both been sort of thinking along these lines for quite a long time that Instagram had become a less rewarding place and it was sort of less about community. It felt really fast-paced and hard to keep up. And we kind of wanted to take a step back from that and to do something that was a bit more tangible and felt a bit more real. So, yeah, that's how kind of Field Fair came about and we've been working on that ever since, yeah, May last year. And Field Fair is amazing. It is beautiful and it's so deliciously old school in like the best possible way. I got my first issue. It came in the post. I, you know, it was like beautiful, thick carts. I was just, it was just everything about it was like beautiful. Like I'll never throw it away because it's, oh, it's on you. my coffee table and it's like a coffee oh, table. We, that's what we wanted. We wanted people to keep it. I mean, we, we described it as a magazine because it comes out twice a year rather than, but it, it, it does feel more like kind of a journal or a book and it's a smaller size. So it, you know, it's intended to be something that people keep if they like it. Uh, yeah. So we've just started work on issue two and that's publishing at the end of May this year. So yeah. And when you were kind of regularly on Instagram, when you were growing your presence, Mm -hmm. you know, did you find that you needed to, how did you kind of, how did you manage that really in terms, just emotionally? Because I think a lot about this, Mm. now I've got the book coming out, I've got the podcast, it's like very important to like build a platform. I'm doing air quotes here in the camera, you can't see me. Mm. And, (laughs) but I sometimes, you know, even though I would say generally my relationship with Instagram has been fairly healthy. Like I don't look at it and get really, really depressed about, you know, other people doing better than me so much. Mm-hmm. I do, I've, I like had to put a time limit on it, right? Because I was like, this is too, mm. it's too much. And the little dopamine mm. bump from the followers and the hits, it was like, I was enjoying it a mm. bit too much. And then it's not very enjoying addictive. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. How did you manage that? Well, you know, I mean, I really loved it that first kind of couple of years because I couldn't have maintained the, I mean, I posted every day, sometimes twice a day because I was like, I've got all these photos and, and it's amazing and like people are liking them and whatever. And it was, you know, I hadn't ever done anything like that before and it was just really fun and you could see immediately the results, you know, you, and it was almost like I imagine kind of a gaming to be where there's, you just get these hits from kind of, you know, hitting targets all the time and it was, yeah, it was really fun. So actually that part of it wasn't, well, I mean, it was probably difficult, more difficult for my family because every time we went out, I'd be kind of taking photos of things. That's (laughs) irritating when you're a kid and you don't want your mum taking photos of things. Oh, mum. So I I I tried to do it, yeah, in my lunch breaks from work, which is why a lot of my photos are of specific areas because that's all I could get to at the time. But I think nowadays, you know, it is much harder and you do – you know, I think there's almost like a stage fright that happens once you get to a certain point in growing your audience where you think, oh my God, there's all these people who are looking at me. And, you know, initially I was anonymous on Instagram. I didn't have my name anywhere. I had a, a user a username that wasn't anything to do with my real name. And it was, um, it was a, kind of a way of hiding behind it, I think. And in some ways that was really good because I was never really putting myself on the line. No one knew who I was. Right. But then when I made the decision a couple of years later to use my actual name. It was partly because I felt like, you know, it was a bit ridiculous to be hiding behind a kind of account that wasn't me. And it felt sort of false in a way. And also I felt that, you know, only taking photos of things from a particular period was a bit constraining kind of visually. So I changed my username and kind of broadened things out. But yeah, I mean, nowadays it's more I have to force myself to go on it rather than come off it. So I think that you really do go through a sort of yeah, stages in your Instagram life, I think, where <laughs> the, the enthusiasm kind of waxes of and wanes depending on <laughs> depending on where you are in your journey. You know, the enthusiasm comes and goes a little bit. And, I, you know, I post a lot 
more infrequently now than I used to. So I guess if people want to grow an audience, I would say, you know, consistency is really important and posting as, you know, once a day or once every couple of days is is good yeah. if, you, if you're looking to grow. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you on TikTok? No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm so scared. I'm I mean, so scared of TikTok. <laughs> I'm like, I can't take on another one. <laughs> like, what do I have to dance? What do I have to do? I know. I'm like, I can't. Uh, I don't know. No. Who has time to choreograph something? I'll leave that to exactly. Kids. They can do that when they're old enough. Exactly. And even though you have kind of backed away a bit from that really active kind of cultivating of your following between Field Fair and your existing platform, you do get a lot of really cool invitations. Do you get more than you can mm-hmm. do? And how do you decide what you want to take advantage of? I do get many more than I can do. And it sort of depends who's asking. So there, you know, a lot of it is through PR agencies and it depends if they're people that you have a relationship with and that you've dealt with before, particularly for things like hotel stays. And there is, you know, there are certain people that, you know, whose invitations I will generally accept if I can. And then if it's just a sort of someone sending something on spec and I've never heard about them or, and I don't know who they are or I've never had a conversation with them, then probably I'm not going to say yes because I don't really know if it's worth my time. And I mean, I did start out being really frustrated because I was working in the office or I had the kids and I, I, there was very little that I could go to. But actually it did force me to really pick and choose, you know, what I was willing to right. give up my time for because it would mean taking a day of annual leave or like arranging for childcare for my kids. And, you know, it had to sort of be worthwhile to bother doing that. So even though it was frustrating, it was probably not a bad thing yeah. really. So, yeah, I guess, and, you know, sometimes things are kind of group events or they might be hosted by an Instagrammer who's a friend or, or something like that. So those kinds of things I'll go to if I can, you know, to support whoever yeah. it is or or whatever the, the business is or the restaurant. Just for anyone listening that wants to send me free yeah. stuff, I'm, I'm probably not going to say no to anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'll be very yeah. cheesy. Well, you say that, cheesy. but, you know, it's like a day out of your time and it yeah. sounds like it should be great, but actually it's work, you know, and, and you're photographing everything and you're you know if, if it's a if it's a food-based thing you know it takes some time to get the photos that you want and by then often your food is cold so it's not like it's like this really relaxing you know I mean it can be and it depends again on the group and and, and what the event is but yeah sometimes it's not as fun as it seems like Fair it enough. Be. and if you have too many cocktails you probably don't get invited back to the next one so <laughs> Exactly. You and if, have you, the, you know, if the photos you post are rubbish, maybe you don't get invited back. So, yeah, True. there's a degree of pressure, I think. And, and, yeah, so it has to kind of be worth it. And your photography is really beautiful. I mean, I think that 
a lot of people go into Instagram for different reasons and some people have, you know, funny captions and some people have a particular interest, but technically your photographs are really beautiful. Did you always want to be a photographer? Have you been photographing since you were a kid? No, no, I hadn't. And it was really, I honestly think it's just the advent of smartphones with good cameras in them because I, my stepfather is a photographer actually, but I never talked about photography really with him growing up or, you know, he had a dark room and things, which, I mean, I don't think I ever really went into it. So <laughs> I can't say that it was a kind of long held desire to become a photographer. And it just, it kind of came about really by chance because I just found that I enjoyed it. And it was because I, you know, I got my first iPhone and and that was it. So, and then, the, yeah, there was the, like the technical challenge of sort of learning how to how to do it and how to get the best results and and learning about photography. But I'm really self-taught. I mean, I'm not, I have never studied photography or, you know, I still sometimes feel like I'm not quite sure what I'm doing when I have my proper camera out, you know, that's, I'm, I'm still more comfortable probably with my smartphone because of just the ease of taking photos. Right. And the cameras on them are so good these days that actually for, for the purposes of Instagram, I think that's fine. I don't think you need a fancy camera, you know, to to get good results for Instagram. And do you do a lot of editing when you finish with all your photo taking? Is there like a lot of that involved? Um, no, not, no, because I try to get the best photo I can in the conditions that I have. So, you know, I prefer a sort of more natural feel to the to my photos. So, but there are certain things. So, you know, if I'm taking photos of buildings, I'll always do it on a cloudy day when I don't have direct overhead sunlight to make it really shadowed or contrasty or whatever. So, you know, there are certain things you, you know, learn to maximize or avoid in terms of like the weather conditions or the light or whatever. So, I just try to make sure that I take my photos in the best conditions that I can manage and then hopefully not have to hit them too heavily because I do prefer, you know, that slightly more natural feel. But that's just personal preference. I mean, there's a lot of super highly edited photos that do really well on Instagram, you know, and can be really sort of atmospheric. It's just not just not to my taste particularly. How fortunate that you live somewhere where it's cloudy most of the time. It must make for Indeed, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise I'd be having to get up at five AM every morning to kind of before the song came up. As it is, eight o'clock's fine. Tell us now, I mean, I don't want to say post pandemic because I don't know Mm. where if that's ever going to happen. But you know, things have gone Mm. a little bit back to normal. Field fair is out, first issue out in the world, second issue being developed. Mm -hmm. What what does your average day look like? It really depends on where we are in the publishing cycle with Field Fair, but also with my other freelance work that I do as a publishing project manager. So if I have, there's books that I manage that are completely unrelated to Field Fair. So I'll usually do some stuff on that. If it's a kind of a period where we're accepting submissions for Field Fair, I'll read through those, we'll make notes, I'll meet with Mendy to go through, you know, whatever needs doing. We process the orders. So we have kind of a fulfillment service who who kind of dispatch all our orders for us, but we kind of go through and send them all the details. So there's a bit of, you know, tedious admin involved. And, you know, if it's a day when I'm taking photos, then I'll go to, you know, into central London probably and, and take some photos or go to, you know, lunch or whatever it is, whatever the event is. But that's, you know, not that frequently at the moment just because of the pandemic and you yeah. know, various other reasons. And then I'm kind of constrained to the school day. So I drop the kids at school just before nine and I pick them up, you know, between, depending on when they finish, you know, 3.30 or 4.30, whatever it is. So actually it's not that long during Fair the enough, day to yeah. get stuff done. So um, so after that point, I'm kind of, you know, 
helping kids with whatever it is mom and life, making dinner life. and mm-hmm. bath time and bedtime and, and mum life. So, and that kind of goes on till about 8.30 every night. So, yeah, it's it's really trying to fit everything into that period when they're at school that's the challenge and particularly during the pandemic that was a massive challenge trying oh, to yeah. just, you know, and, and, you know, I think working parents had it really hard you know, having to homeschool and and try and work at the same time, just really difficult. I mean, I think if you work at a job where you can be sort of self-directed in your work, that was really tough Mm. during homeschooling because you didn't have, Mm. you know, you had to try to fit it in in this time when you were trying to fit everything in. Mm. But then also if you had people, team, big teams working for a big company, you know, that were depending Mm. on you, you had to try to fit the kids around that. I mean, no, no one. I think no one that was trying to have a job and homeschool no. had it had a good time of it. No. And I, for one, am no. very grateful those days are over. <laughs> and yes, if yeah. they ever close down schools again, my children are just going to have to be feral because I don't think I can go back yeah. to uh, go back no, to those. I don't, days. I don't think. I mean, and I think everyone was just so exhausted from that whole experience that yeah, I'm hoping that the schools never have to do that again. <laughs> it was just a nightmare. Fingers for crossed. Sky, this has been so great. One thing I ask everybody who comes on the show is what advice they might have for people who might be in their 20s or 40s or 60s or well beyond who are thinking Mm -hmm. of making a shift into, well, could be any one of the careers that you do, photography, building up a social media profile to be able to be more of an influencer into publishing and having a piece of print work. What kind of advice would you give to someone who was maybe had like a really good idea but didn't know how to get started? So for me, I feel like you know, I was lucky that I, because of taking redundancy and having worked so long for the same company, I got to quite a nice payout and that made me feel secure enough to kind of take some chances. So, I feel like the first advice I would give would be just to sort of make sure that financially you can kind of manage it without becoming super stressed because I think that's really hard. It's really hard to be creative or to feel like you're following your passion if you're actually just really worried about money. So true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think be prepared to maybe have a side hustle for a while while you start something up or, you know, work you know, have more of a sort of portfolio of things that you do. So you're not just relying on the one thing to work out for you. I mean, in terms of the magazine, I mean, that feels like a sort of synthesis of skills that I've gained over the course of quite a long professional working life. So, you know, it uses the photography side, but it also uses heaps of publishing skills that I've learned over the years. And I don't think we could have done it otherwise because, you know, knowing how to put together a book and how to get it printed and how to, you know, have it typeset and designed and all the rest of it, that's not something that you necessarily can just figure out with no experience at all. So I would say, you know, look at what skills you have, see how you can kind of use them as a springboard to whatever it is that you are looking to move into. And then as far as the social media goes, I don't know. You know, Instagram is a really different place now than it was when I was first growing my account. But, you know, the, the accounts that I see doing well are ones that, you know, have quite a specific thing that they that they focus on I mean I know I I personally don't think it's you know ideal for your mental health to only be taking photos of one thing and only be talking about about one thing it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel very authentic in some ways to the kind of complexity of people but it's true that you know accounts with specific focuses often do quite well with particular audiences and just consistency learning about the basics of photography learning how to take a good photo within with with whatever equipment you have whether that's a smartphone or a camera or whatever it is and there's heaps of free resources online for all that stuff and that's how that's how I taught myself really so yeah I think just give it a go because you know in some ways 
just taking the risk and just doing it was the you know it was the thing that we had to do and I would say as well that having a partner to kind of hold me accountable for certain things and to be doing it as a project with someone else is really a great way to do something that you might be worried about doing on your own so you know if you do have some kind of creative project in mind then sometimes yeah having that person as a soundboard or having someone that you can talk to about it is a really great way to kind of give you that confidence amazing that's such good advice sky where can people learn more about you and find your work online so my user name on Instagram is at Sky O'Neill and Fieldfair is at Fieldfair Press, all one word. And yeah, my website's just skyoneill.com. But as I was saying before to you, I'm not sure I haven't updated it for a while, so maybe don't look on that. But if you're if you're coming from the Tim Tam lobby, don't bother. Yeah, exactly. Stay away. Don't come for me. Don't come for me. <laughs> oh, Sky, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thank and you have- for having me. I'm so happy to have been on your podcast. And have such a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zcast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zibby Books team for their support. Find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about the episode, future jobs you want me to profile, or the burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.